Amen. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. How is everybody this morning? Great. Bueno. All right. Mr. Bilingual over there. All the way from Arkansas. Thank you. Well, um, it's great to be here with you guys again this week. Uh, We were here last week, and for those of you who weren't, and don't know us, my wife and I, Jane, Jane in the back, she's the lovely one in the back there, who's very red right now, um, but uh, we work with an organization called Youth with a Mission, and Youth with a Mission is an international, interdenominational missions organization that helps, uh, that does all kinds of things all over the world. Uh, we've been here in this area for about 15 years, working with young women in unplanned pregnancies, and uh, investing in tomorrow's families today kind of what we're, we feel like God's calling is for us. Uh, we also are engaged in um, something that YWAM's doing around the Youth of the Mission, that's the acronym for them. Uh, Youth of the Mission is doing around the world called BAM, and it's Business as Missions. And um, they're doing it a lot in closed countries where um, you can't get in as a missionary. And so they go in with a business and employ locals, employ, uh, you know, bring services that are going to benefit that country. Um, and we've been able, uh, we've been doing that here since we got here, kind of we're thrown into it. And um, it's been great. And Bethany's back here with us. She's one of our store managers at King's Treasure and been with us a while and just does a great job. She's incredible. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of what we're doing in the community. Um, and then Pastor Larry was gone, and he said, hey, I'm going to be gone. Would you mind speaking for me for a couple of weeks? And I said, sure, I'd love to. So this morning, I want to visit with you about Psalm 95. And in this psalm, David talks about hard heart disease. And he basically gives us a warning and a remedy. So let's look through that and read that together this morning. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the uh, mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. We are his people, and he is, uh, and we are the sheep of his pasture. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah and as they did at Massa in the uh, wilderness. For their ancestors tested me and tried my patience. Even though they saw everything I had done, for 40 years I was angry with them. And I said, they are people whose hearts have turned from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter the place of my rest. Let's look at that today. So David, he gives us a warning. Down at the bottom of those verses, he said, If you hear God's voice, and if you see his works, don't harden your heart. 
How many of you have heard from God? You know, okay, through his word, through, through prayer time, you've heard, it, you've heard him go, yeah, this, okay, this is something I need in my life, and I'm going to change this. You've, you've heard his voice. Okay. A lot of us have uh, in his word. His word is the same thing. Uh, he speaks through his word to us. It's, um, it says that it's live and active. His word is living and active. It separates the bone from the marrow. Dives straight into the heart and shows us our motives. So we know that his word is true. We know that his word is living and active. If you haven't heard his voice, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're moving too fast. Sometimes he doesn't move at our pace. We need to move at his. There's a big difference, right? So if you're not hearing it, if you don't, if you haven't been, if you haven't heard his voice, if you hadn't heard direction, slow down. How many of you have seen his works? All you got to do is go out and watch the sun come up. That's his works. He set that in motion. And it, you know the cool thing about it is we can, count, we can put our calendar toward it. We can tell when day starts and when day ends, and we can put a, set a watch by it. See, our watch, doesn't, our watch doesn't tell the sun when to come up, does it? just calculates it. it it's just a description of it or it's just a, a part of it right and that's how we need to be with the lord too instead of telling him and, and setting those things in motion that we feel like he needs to fit into our schedule we need to fit into his so it says don't harden your heart i want to look at that don't harden your heart as they did at Maribal. Is anybody familiar with what happened at Maribal? Israel run out of water. This is about 40 days after they had been gotten out of um, Egypt or been released from Egypt from when they left. Um, they said it's, some people say it's about a, it took them about a week to get to the Red Sea. They had their back against the wall. And God came in and redeemed them. Well, down in this place, they had run out of water. It was a dry place, and they were complaining. They're like, I can't believe we don't have water. And did God just bring us out here to kill us? I mean, what's his, what's his problem? Now, there's two places it's, that Meribah is mentioned. One is right down here, just about 40 days after they came out of Egypt. And then there was another time that went up, it went up near Kadesh, which is up north there, and that's where Moses struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. And he was uh, denied the privilege of being able to go into the promised land. But Meribah's mentioned twice. This is the first one. So they were, they were upset, and they were grumbling. They were complaining. Now, the interesting thing about Meribah, and, I, and I, as I was preparing this morning and just, you know, going over the notes, I just felt like God was kind of giving me some direction here and to mention this, that up until they got to the Red Sea, all the miracles that they saw were mighty, incredible things that God did for them to set them free. From that point until Meribah, all the miracles and everything that God did was to shut them up. Because they were complaining. They were griping the whole way. If you look at Scripture, 
We don't have any meat. We don't have any water. We don't have this. We don't have that. And every miracle that God did was, okay, you want something here? It's a huge contrast. And you know what? It became the New American Standard said it was loathsome to God. I don't know about you. I don't want to be loathsome to God. It developed hard heart disease. Now, let's look at it. Maybe there's some reasons why. You know, just to give them, give them a, a little bit of credit and a little bit of benefit of the doubt. I think I would probably be similar to that. Um, we all have probably been similar to these guys, right? Here's some possibilities of what maybe helped them develop hard heart disease. God's voice was unfamiliar to them. The voice that they had heard for 440 years were taskmasters, were slave drivers, were the cracks of whips. They didn't get an opinion. They didn't have an option. They didn't have opportunity. Get up, get going, or, or get a whip on your back. Um, get a stick across the head, across your back. Get after it, or you're going to pay. That was the voice they were used to hearing. And this voice was to bring freedom, kindness, gentleness. Another possibility, the way was uncertain. I don't think any of them really knew where they were going. They just knew they were going. After a period of time, guess what? That gets old, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, are we there yet? It was a new way that they were experiencing. This new way had a new geography. They had ne the mass majority of these people had never left Goshen. And maybe they had left Goshen and gone into different places of Egypt, but it was all in Egypt. They'd never been, they'd never been anywhere else. Now they're crossing seas and they're doing all kinds of stuff and climbing mountains. They had a new routine. The routine was usually up early, whips cracking, getting stuff done, making bricks, working all day until the um, day was over, when they were told it was over. And they went home to eat, sleep, and get up and do it all again. Had a new routine now. So, so what time are we getting up in the morning? Well, we just got to get up enough time to go pick up bread. Got to go get some wafers. Their routine was totally off. And then they come to the Sabbath day, and they don't do anything. Well, they had never had that before. They worked seven days a week, however long they were told. Now, all of a sudden, well, what do we do? I don't know. We can't, we, we can't even pick up. That a new timeline. Again, we're, we're going Where? And when are we getting there? And how long is that going to take? And then sometimes they didn't even move. What are we doing today? Well, nothing. The cloud's still sitting there. They're just, they're just hanging out. The cloud. Oh, there it goes. It's moved. Come on. They didn't know. There so I think, you know, realistically, there's a lot of, I think we can relate to that. We would probably be grumpy too, wouldn't we? 
friend of mine posted on Facebook a little while ago, and I thought this was great. Here's three ways you can guarantee failure in your life. Complain about everything. Blame others for your problems. And never be grateful. And I think Israel was kind of in that place where they were just, I don't know. We don't have stuff. I'm really upset now. How are you doing? I think there's times in life, it took 40 days for them to get to Maribel. I think there's times in our life, you guys, that God lets the mundane come in. Now, they had just seen all, their, all the Egyptian gods defeated. They had just seen all these incredible miracles of God. They saw the sea split, and then the sea come back in and wash up all their enemies. They just saw all this incredible stuff go on. And then all of a sudden, 40 days of nothing but walking. Somebody says about 28 kilometers a day. Pushing cows, corralling children. Come on, get away from over there. Come on. We're going somewhere. I don't know where, but we're going. Come on. 40 days of mundane. You know, sometimes God allows the mundane to see where we're at. See where we're at in our hearts. See where we're at in our life. Are we going to respond to him and go, Okay, God, I don't know what we're doing today, but you know what? You're awesome. I just want to love you. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to do what's on your heart. What's on your heart? Okay, I don't know what's on his heart, but you know what? I'm just going to love you today. I'm going to be kind to my neighbor. I'm going to treat my neighbor as myself. I'm going to look for people to love. He allows the mundane to see what's in our heart. I just was wondering, maybe there's somebody here in the mundane today. You're just kind of wondering what, you're in the mundane in your relationship with your wife, your husband. Maybe you're in the mundane of your job. Maybe you're in the mundane of retirement. Maybe you're in the mundane of singleness. Maybe you're in the mundane of your job. It's those times that God looks to see, okay, are we going to be faithful? Are they going to honor me and just be loving to me and honor me because they love me and be loyal to the things that I've called them to do? I think that's what he was doing with Israel. Isaiah says that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Sometimes when you're in the midst of waiting, it's a tough place. And sometimes the people you, you wait with kind of make it tough too. You know what I mean? Now, I wouldn't condone that type of waiting. Some of us have been like that in our waiting, haven't we? David wrote this verse, and David knew how to wait. He was someone that we can learn from who knew how to walk in these places, walk in these tough places, this mundane when, where God wasn't doing these great things. But he, he remained faithful. That word wait 
that Isaiah is talking about means to remain, to await. And I like this part. There's a tension of enduring. Tension of enduring. Place where you're enduring, you're in this, but there's this tension of, man, something's got to give. But a place of being able to step back and go, I'm going to endure. And I'm going to eagerly look. Isn't that awesome? So in your waiting time today, or this week, this whole, this life, <laughs> are we waiting? David's life, just some characteristics of it. David was uh, the family shepherd boy. Now, most families, if they could afford it, they didn't. They they hired shepherds. Because it was a lowly job, it was a job they kind of just, whatever, just kind of gave it to the the lowest person. It's kind of like if you had somebody in your family and you were like, you know, look, why don't you do the dishes and take out the trash and pick up the dog food? That's your job. We'll take care of the important stuff. But you can do that. That's who David was. He was their shepherd. He was anointed king, though. The cool thing was is he was anointed king. The prophet came in and, and was seeking out all of their uh, Jesse's sons and brought them all in in front of him and left David out in the field. Like, it's surely not him. <laughs> but it was. And he was marched in front of his whole family and honored by the prophet and anointed king of Israel. But it took 15 years from that point for him to become king of Judah. He wasn't even king of Israel then. It took 15 years just to become king of Judah. And you know what? During that time, he was running from spears and uh, all kinds of stuff. Facing giants. But he waited. Not one time in Scripture does it say that he grumbled and complained. Did he say that he... Out of all the Psalms, did he, you know, say, God, you've, you're such an unjust God. I can't believe you did it. Don't you even care? You never see that. Then after he became king of Judah, it still took seven years for him to become king of Israel. But he waited. Matter of fact, some people said, you should go and take it. And he goes, it's not mine to take. Many times through that 22-year period, he was running for his life. That 15-year period, he was running for his life. Being chased in caves and chased all around all kinds of dry areas. Running, making himself look crazy in front of uh, enemy kings so that they didn't put him to, to death. But as David waited, he didn't just hang around. He didn't just sit in the front pew and go, well, Pastor Larry, you never asked me to do nothing. I guess I'll just sit up here. Nobody cares about me. Anointed king and people chasing me all over the place. He didn't do that. His attitude was, look, I'm going to do whatever I can today to get ready for what God's calling me to be. So what did he do? Well, he developed his relationship with God. If you look through Scripture and look at all the psalms that David wrote, 
What incredible poetry of love and dedication and loyalty to God. That's not something that can just go, you know, well, I'm going to go take a poetry class. I'm going to start writing some stuff down. It came out of his heart and his relationship with God. So he developed that relationship with God. He became an accomplished musician. While he was out hanging around the sheep, didn't have anything else to do. He could have been complaining. He could have been doing a lot of stuff. But what did he do? He picked up a harp and he starts playing. He starts playing instruments. He starts becoming a songwriter. Beautiful, beautiful, incredible songs. And he was so anointed that the demons would flee when he would start playing. That's why Saul had him come in. Come and play for me. I've got this evil spirit in me. David would come in and that spirit would flee. He also developed hand-to-hand combat skills with bears and lions that really uh, suited him well as he came into battle and became a mighty warrior. But you know, this, this communicates uh, a heart of excellence and a heart of uh, responsibility. These sheep were his responsibility. They were his father's. They belonged to his family. And you know what? A lion and a bear came up and he manhandled them. And he was just a teenager. He said, you know what? These are my dads. I'm taking care of them. And he had such a heart of excellence and such a heart of responsibility that he went and took those guys out, took out those animals. I don't know about you. I think I would rather develop my hand-to-hand combat in a little less, uh, little less strenuous way than lions and bears. Oh, my. He also developed mad rock-slinging skills. I mean, he was able to go up and he took that rock and took out that nine-foot giant with one sling, one shot. Some people say maybe, you know, he had some divine help in guiding that to where it needed to implant. However it happened, he had to put the rock in the sling and he had to throw it. And he did it fearlessly. He ran toward the battle, it said. When Goliath called him out, he didn't stand back and, Okay, well, but it said he ran toward him and threw the rock. That's pretty awesome. But that's what David did in his time of waiting. And he also developed leadership skills. When his men pressed him to go and and kill King Saul in the cave, he had him twice that he could have killed him and taken, taken on his kingship, taken on the calling that God had given him. Twice, he stood up to his men and said, no. Because if God hasn't put me there, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take another man's life so that mine can look better and be in a better place. If God wants me there, he can, he'll put me there. We need more leaders like that. Here's our big idea today. As we wait on the Lord with a worshipful heart, we gain perspective gain strength, and we gain endurance. When we come to God with a, looking, with a worshipful heart, with looking at him who he is, we mount up with wings as eagles. And we soar, you guys, above our circumstance, don't we? 
We can look down. We can get a different perspective. We can get a better perspective. We can run and not be weary, gaining strength. In endurance, we can walk and not faint. So David gives us a remedy, verses uh, 1 through 7, Psalm 95. And I'm not going to take the time like I did the first service, and I went late. So uh, I'm going to just go through these and let you read these. But basically, David gives us three aspects. That if we want to have a worshipful, waiting heart, these are three characteristics we can do, three things we can take into worship with us. First of all, focus on God's person. Twice in these verses, David calls us to worship. So focusing on his person, he's the rock of your salvation. He's the rock of our salvation. No one can take it from us. You may feel rocked right now in your life. You may feel like, you know what, I'm struggling with this in my life. I've got this going on. The devil's tempting me here. Let me tell you guys, he is the rock of our salvation. As the enemies came and flooded behind Israel, uh, the Egyptian army, most powerful army in the world, they flooded behind them to take them over. Their backs are against the water. They had no place to go. And God said, I got you. Split the sea for them. They walked through on dry land. As their enemy pursued, he drowned them. That's the God of your salvation. The enemy can't do anything to you. He can tempt you. He can bring stuff in your life. He can do things, but he can't do nothing unless God does it. He's the rock of our salvation. He goes on to say he's the great God. He's great, you guys. There's no one greater. There's nothing greater than our God. And he's the king above all gods. And he showed that to Israel, didn't he? He took on all of Egypt's gods. And what did he do? Kind of went, pink, pink, pink. It was effortless. He just took them over. So focusing on his person, who he is. Second, focus on his providence. He goes in to say that the deep places are in his hands. You know, these deep places, this couple that we were praying for who lost their son this weekend, or this week, this last week, it's a deep place. David knew it well, and he said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear because I know you are with me. Guys, his hands are in those deep places. You may be in a deep place today. His hands are there. The heights are his also. Heights can be two different things. They can be a place where it's a new challenge, it's a new adventure. You're excited. This is awesome. I can't believe it. You're all, you got all, all emotions going. Or it could also be a very scary place. You could be in the heights hanging on a cliff. <laughs> That would be a very scary place for me. I don't like heights. Those are his also. Now, there's times, you guys, we put ourselves in places that are dangerous. There's times we do things, I mean, just keeping it real, we do things and, and we're hanging off a cliff because it's our fault. But you know what? In those places, they're still his. And if we turn to him, 
He'll help us. The sea is his. He made it. Now, the sea can be a great place, can't it? How many of you guys have ever taken a cruise? It's a beautiful thing, the ocean. It's just incredible. It's magnificent. It can also be very scary. You can ask the disciples. Remember the big storm they were in, and they're just crying out. They came running to Jesus. They go, why are you sleeping? Don't you care? Was Jesus worried about the storm? No, he's taking a nap. Why? Because he knew that his father made it. And if something's going to happen, he's going to know about it. So in the turbulent storm, you guys, God can stand up in the midst of it, speak one word, and calm it. Isn't that the awesomest thing in the world? His hands form the dry land. How many of you guys like the beach? I am telling you what, that is the place to go. His hand made that. What a place of peace and calmness and, and refreshment. We lived uh, out in Dog Canyon the last four years, and that's another picture of dry land. And it's not as, it is peaceful out there. It's very quiet. Our, our uh, rush hour is two cars at 5 o'clock come by, <laughs> and uh, they're heading out further than we were. But that's the rush hour. Um, but in those dry lands, he made them. Walking in a dry place sometimes in our life where, man, I just start, my quiet time seems, oh, it's dry, it's running, it's rough. God made those times. It's a time, David knew those times so well. And he came back and he just said, God, I love you. I'm committed to you. I love you as my father, my king, my God. David just had such a heart after God. So focus on his person. Focus on his providence. Those are all the big things about God, right? But then David goes on to say, focus, come let us worship and bow down. Let us focus on his personalness. Because he is our God. He's not just a God out there. but He's our God who wants come in and love us, wants to come in and be with us. We are the people of his pasture. He's not only our God, but we're his people. We're the sheep of his hands. You know, God didn't save Israel and do all this stuff in their life because he wanted people to be slaves to him. But he did it to love him so that he could love them and they could walk in this relationship. Matter of fact, as you read through, Moses is talking to Israel. Much of what he's saying to him, he starts off with first, love God, obey his commandments, obey his statutes. But he starts off first with love God. Because if we remember his personalness, He did what he did so that you would have freedom. I love the song we were singing this morning, that our chains would be broken. 
you'd be set free. Oh, my Savior who ransomed me. So remember his personalness. Sarah Young wrote a book called, uh, wrote a devotional called Jesus is Calling. And in that, she takes scripture and starts talking about from Jesus' perspective how he might communicate these scriptures to us or communicate these thoughts. And this is one of them she shared. So when you focus on what you do not have or on situations that displease you, your mind also becomes darkened. You take uh, for granted life, salvation, sunshine, flowers, countless uh, other gifts from me. When you approach me with thanksgiving, the light of my presence pours into you, transforming you through and through. Walk in the light of my, uh, walk in the light with me by practicing the discipline of thanksgiving. So our remedy for the hard heart disease is waiting on the Lord, remaining, waiting. Tension of enduring, eagerly look and worship Him. As we wait on the Lord with worshipful hearts, we gain perspective, strength, and endurance. Stand with me as we close. I'm going to close a little bit different. I'm hoping there's some folks in here that are feel like God was kind of touching them and I just want to ask, instead of me praying and saying, God, do all this and help us with this, I was wondering maybe if there might be some of you who might want to just pray out this morning, maybe one or two or three, that would say, God, I appreciate your personalness. I appreciate your providence. You don't have to be personal. I'm not asking you to tell us everything that's going on in your life. But I want you to be free to do whatever you feel like you want to do. Maybe we might just give God honor and glory today and walk with him. Amen. So let's take just a couple of minutes, and if uh, some of you would like to pray, just pray out, jump in there. Don't be like the person sitting up here waiting for somebody to call your name. Just jump in there like David and 